call that sound? That's the sound of Season 8, Faith in the Fresh Vibe Podcast. I'm your host, Ro Hattie. Welcome. Come along for the ride. Another season. It's taken a while, six months. But once again, I have sought out voices on the margins of Christianity. I don't know if all of them would claim, all the guests would claim Christianity anymore. This is a podcast that invites you along a journey, multiple pathways to figure out what it means to live out the Christian faith in a modern world. We are deconstructing, we are decolonizing by capturing some new ideas from voices hopefully you haven't heard, and some you have. In the season, we will include a couple of thematic episodes as well, so watch out for those. This episode features Camille Hernandez, theopoet, public educator, abolitionist, mum, wife, and author of a forthcoming book called The Hero and the Whore. Yes, a book on the Bible's victims of sexual exploitation. Can't wait to get my hands on a copy. Without further ado, let's not wait. Let's jump in and meet Camille. The first question that I ask all guests is to share the lands on which you are situated right now. I am in the unceded territory of the Gabrielino tribe, um, which is also known as Orange County, but the Gabrielino people reach out from what is now Orange County in Los Angeles. They also go by the name the Tongva tribe, but apparently Gabrielino is the preferred title of the tribe. Traditional lands. We also, I, I think it'd be really cool uh, to name. Who are your people? Mm. So I come from two very different sets of people. Yeah. My father is black, and my people on my father's side, as 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 much as we know, yeah. uh, they come from enslavement in the rural south specifically the mississippi mm. delta so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um right now there's the jackson water crisis happening in mississippi and um it's very close to my um i guess i can call it my ancestral home because it's where it's my grandma's house uh, she passed away mm. my godmother lives there now um but yeah we are the descendants of the enslaved and i haven't really looked further into that so yeah 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 that's as much as i know um but we're also mississippi delta people which is a very different type of southern very different type of type of country my dad's a very country person he won't admit it but he is mm. um but yeah he was raised my dad's old he's like almost 80 and he has vivid memories of being a child and picking cotton um as a job that he yeah. had. Wow. Um, wow. He was born during the the Jim Crow era. Yeah. He fled 
Mississippi because um, he was organizing anti-segregation um, marches in his area. He successfully desegregated um, a movie theater and a library in their town. Yeah, yeah. Um, must be like the late 50s. Yeah, early 50s, yeah. late 50s. Yeah. So from my grandma got word that the whites were after him and he um, yeah. fled uh, yeah. as part of the great migration to Detroit. So hmm. um, a lot of that history lives in us and lives in me. Yeah. And my mom, um, she is Filipina. So we are Bataguenio, which is the indigenous tribe that she is from in the Philippines. She says way back, <laughs> like we're, we're from Batangas um, is where she's from. Um, my that's very cool. Thank you, my great grandfather. That's very cool. My grandfather and from beyond were sugarcane and coconut farmers. Mm. Um, we our family still has that ancestral home, that ranch um, of sugarcane and coconut farms. Oh wow! Yeah, um, but my mom she also had to flee because she fled the Philippines in the late seventies during martial law. Ferdinand mm -hmm. um, Marcos essentially Marcos, became. Yeah. Yep. The Didn't his like nephew just come back into his power? Son, Junior. his son, his son. Yeah, Bong Bong Marcos. Okay. Uh, and yeah, just like his dad. Um. So yeah, we. I'm. I am here because of. I'm here in California, I should say, because of people who had to flee violence of authoritarianism mm -hmm. um but i'm also here for because of people who made a way in lands that are new to them um, mm -hmm. yes i know that story i know that story that's like so many of our stories for black and brown folks mm -hmm. of displacement there's even sugarcane in my story like, yeah. <laughs> it's like it sounds like so much of all this uh violence and incurred onto bodies by powers and power systems have displaced us from our traditional lands yeah like and displaced for myself displaced at least on my dad's side displaced from india from the british empire displaced from trinidad uh my dad and i left to come to canada we become settlers on to uh a land and and oh man all the levels hey oh yeah Phew. Thanks for sharing about your people. And then your your last name now, because you also have the people you, you bring in close and not the ones yeah. you have to have, <laughs> which probably like totally messes up like folks around you in your life in terms of intersections. Like there's no Latino connection like in your own uh, body, but you would... Uh, do you do you incur some of those stereotypes? Oh, of having this must be like such a weird intersection. I just shouldn't say weird, but like yeah, having a Spanish last name. I think Filipino culture is so intertwined with um, Spanish yeah. cultures because of colonization. Um, <clears throat> but people have not assumed that I am any part Latin American. They they usually. I mean, I I get mistaken for being like from Pacifica or Oceanica, um, which I'm like, yeah, it's close and Filipino and black. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, 
It's a big ocean, though. Yeah, it's a huge. It's the largest ocean. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, I have, I guess, I have a lot of grace for when people try to figure out my ethnicities. Um, <laughs> Don't try, though. That yeah. should be the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I shut it down very nicely, very kindly. I, I don't. You have so much grace. <laughs> um, I think it's it's my kids are always around me. I mean, right now they're not with me because they're in school. My kids are usually around me. Um, and my kids, um, they have certain facial features that can tie back to their African ancestry, but they are usually, um, people usually ask if we're Filipino because my kids are like, Hmm. they have less melanin than I do. Their hair texture, um, it varies, but their hair texture isn't, um, like it's not the same as mine. Um, so it, we often get mistaken or just like assumed to be Filipino because I look Filipino and they look Filipino, um, depending. Sometimes people can pick up that they're also Mexican. Um, but yeah. yeah. Don't guess. Yeah. The, the hard part is that I'm like tired of people assuming, right? I'm like, oh. <laughs> that's why I ran out of grace. It's like, don't ask that. Yeah. You and should then, know better. And have you received the awkward compliment after you tell somebody? And I don't know if you tell people your ethnicities. Like my son's former swim teacher was like, you have a really pleasant face. And I was like, we are not returning. <laughs> I've, so I don't think people comment on male beauty in the same manner. So I haven't received that one. But yeah, I get a lot of dumbassery uh, or have like I haven't in a while. Like, but in the 80s and 90s, that 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 was wild. Like, it's yeah. like everything. Oh. Exotic. Yeah. There was someone who Oriental. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and someone says Oriental. I'm like, my mom got that recently, actually. Really? And she's Chinese Japanese, right? So she's Asian, but yeah, you know, old white man. And it's like, dude, ugh. I share a story in my book because, like, a lot of folks give old folks, <laughs> old white folks, a pass. They're like, ah, oh, they don't know better. They're just trying to, oh, there's like, they've never seen foreigners before. And it's just like, no, that's racist. Yeah, that that's right. They're being racist. Yeah, I'm big at a pass, but I don't. Excuse me. Thanks for sharing um, about your people. Let's talk just briefly. We don't want to like eat up all the time, but uh, you have, because we got to get to your book and also where that book is going to take us. Uh, but before we do, you're writing a book. Um, uh, I don't have the full title. From Heroes to Whores, is that it? <laughs> no, that's not the title. <laughs> Damn. The, the Hero and the Whore. The hero and the from yeah. oh yeah that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit that out. Maybe I'll keep it <laughs> just so we know. Um, uh, victims of sexual exploitation as as a mechanism unto healing and liberation, like their stories as pointing unto and all the other pieces. That is the book we're gonna get there. But before we do, let's talk about uh, briefly <laughs> of. You grew up in the church, but also moved around different traditions. Like, what what did that look like in terms of faith formation for you? Yeah, it's like a mosaic. So my early childhood was being raised amongst Filipino Catholics, which is very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and very typical, though, for, right. for Filipino folks. Yeah, and, and 
Filipino Catholicism is like low key animastic. And I like that. <laughs> low key and what? Animastic, like 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 in in Filipino culture, a ghost is not the same as a Western ghost. Yeah, like a ghost is an animal visiting you. So, for example, like um, my friend who's Filipina, every time she sees a scarab beetle, she sees it. She says it's her grandma visiting her or her ancestors. Mm. Um, there's like lots of lizards at my place, and I like very I have deep affection for lizards mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a new thing that's happened yeah um, yeah and well, roll uh, with it yeah, yeah i roll with it but like i i i would say like oh yeah lizards are like my ancestors visiting me um it's a part of how filipinos have taken catholicism into yeah. different different ways but still kept our like kept our original indigenous beliefs alive in some some mm -hmm. ways yeah 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 um and then in my high school end of high school years i was in a white evangelical youth group left to go to college in northern california which is when i was in a um more conservative black baptist church and then i returned back home and returned back to that white evangelical church and was there for about a decade and I I left mm -hmm. a couple years ago um and now <laughs> I am I think this is really funny I am um a reluctant preacher sometimes I preach a lot of times I say no um at a church for second generation Asian and Latinx immigrants uh, so you would say that it, your communities that are drawing you uh, and aspects that are appealing, especially if it's an immigrant uh, community, is that it's more poised unto work of justice, um, for care for the community, especially around, you know, Im matters of immigration, like that kind of activity? Yeah. The church yeah. started in a community center that was in a historically brown neighborhood. Um, and the hmm. it's it didn't start from that organization, yeah. but it started like adjacent to the organization. Um, so at the, the heart of the community is that like second generation, like what is the Christian experience for second generation folks, immigrants, um, which my husband and I both identify as so it's interesting but i'm not like i'm not like a churchy person <laughs> i'm not someone who's like this is my church community i hate the term church family um <laughs> yeah. i yeah i i'm still in my process of healing from a lot of wounds in that so i much would much rather identify as a facilitator who like occasionally preaches so where does it come into play where you have developed this voice and expertise to produce even the idea, the notion behind your book, The Hero and the Whore, <laughs> What the Bible's Victims of Sexual Exploitation Can Teach Us About Healing and Liberation? Um my own complex ptsd <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah great. okay yeah it's a great launching point now um i mean a part of that is true but um yeah 
from the years of 2016 to 2021 um last year my husband and i our whole family served as like local missionaries from an evangelical organization and the organization was really big on trauma-informed care lots of trainings with people who had learned from um like the experts in trauma-informed care and how to have um how to have trauma-informed relationships creating trauma-informed space and environment so that was just like five years of intensively living in it and having this knowledge but also realizing that like my knowledge is incomplete so continuing to study and like learn more about um just the different facets of how trauma is realized um and how it moves through us in our bodies and our relationships mm. and um and i wanted to write specifically on sexual violence because christians like suck <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in general um but there's no mm. praxis or ethos surrounding sexual violence instead mm -hmm. um instead in christianity um instead of talking about or acknowledging or even trying to figure out what is sexual violence there's that like band-aid of righteousness that people put over it of like oh just forgive the person or like oh just do this um god wanted this to happen so that you can help other people walk through it right instead of Bleh. having <laughs> instead of having like an empathetic or compassionate center um to say like to tell someone hey this was violent and you were violated and this wasn't allowed mm. but also um we push forgiveness too much mm. and like i totally like i get the theology i get that like as christians like forgiveness is like our thing right it's like our super bowl whatever you want to call it um hockey <laughs> hockey cup like i don't know <laughs> The hockey, so a hockey cup is actually cup? yeah the hockey cup is what you use to protect your groin oh, oh that too <laughs> it's the stanley cup yeah you're right yeah no i want to um, go with hockey cup <laughs> yeah, yeah okay sure yeah i have jokes about hockey cups but anyway that's another podcast oh man uh, that's good <laughs> um, but yeah <laughs> I'm like i'm somewhat embarrassed but also very entertained <laughs> that's not <laughs> embarrassing at all that's hilarious <laughs> yeah as, uh, as christians we just don't have a like a, a praxis of safety yeah there's there's nothing around a sense of of formation around sexuality healthy sexuality yeah nothing and with no, with no formation around healthy sexuality, there there is no formation of what is violent. Mm. Um, Especially coming out of violent traditions. Yeah. A hundred percent. So it's, yeah, that's, it's, it's a book that seeks to educate without having an air of like, um, of arrogance it's just it's it's my own way of saying like these are the theologies that i've learned as i've healed from my own ptsd and this is what mm. i found to be super problematic um and i don't mm. like the word grooming because i feel like it's just become a buzzword but mm. 
this is how these environments allow violence to happen. And I personally, I do love Jesus and all my life I've been in pursuit of Jesus, but I'm okay if the church burns down. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is to say, unless you want, unless the church wants to change, then the church is just going to continue being the nurturer of these violent spaces. Mm, every, yeah. every sexual ethic that the church has, that Christianity has um, regarding sexuality is violent. Mm -hmm. So is the church in fact that is bringing the harm yeah it is the source of that yeah and it feels like total <sighs> shit like it just feels awful to know like i'm so dedicated to jesus and yet like yeah i also recognize that like as a community organizer as a facilitator this thing that i'm dedicated to has caused centuries yeah. and generations yeah. worth of it is the problem it yeah. is the yeah i love jesus yeah. and jesus loving jesus is also the problem at the same time Mm, oh, that's different. That's that's different, and also a great T-shirt. Like, <laughs> that's that's deep. That's another book. That's your second book. Yeah, let me finish the Dang. first one. I keep on as a way of procrastinating from my current book. I'm like, let me just write down all the other books I'll write after this. <laughs> I want to know why the Bible's victims of sexual exploitation, that within their stories, there is a pathway unto healing and liberation for us. Mm. I think depending on your identity, you can look at the story, the stories in the Bible um, and see, see yourself, but we've been taught to not see ourselves. Um, and we've been mm. taught to look at scripture like a rich white man who has taken all of his wealth from generational violence done unto our own people. Mm. And so I, I am learning, continually learning to look at scripture from my own lens mm. and asking myself, yes is this even worth it? Like it is following these stories worth it because mm -hmm. they're not like, they're not easy. Yeah. I don't believe that the Bible is a set of victorious fairy tales. I think the Bible is the set of cautionary tales that tell us how we should not be and who we should uh, not become. Mm. Um, That's good. Thanks. But like, so let's use an example. Yeah. So let's talk about Hagar, mm. right? And, and um, Hagar was enslaved to Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was Hagar's trafficker um, who sexually exploited Hagar to have a child. So she had used her, her enslaved woman to sleep with her husband um, in order to have a baby. But what we don't think about was that Abraham had trafficked Sarah also to the Pharaoh. And there is this dynamic, this double dynamic that we're looking at of Sarah. She There's a time when she calls out Abraham after he had trafficked her, but she doesn't change 
She has the same mm. exact thing that he does for her own. Mm. And as someone who studied trauma and violence and then community organizing, I know that in the world of pimps and human traffickers, we call it the bottom bitch. The bottom bitch is the person who doesn't have to do anything. I'm sorry. The bottom bitch is the person who does everything, I should say, who does everything for the pimp so the pimp doesn't have to do anything himself. He can run his business and she'll keep it managed. And that's the story of Hagar. Hagar is enslaved by this violent woman who is Abraham's bottom bitch. Hmm. So what does our faith look like in light of that? Mm -hmm. Hagar runs away not just once, but twice. Um, the first time she runs away, she meets with God. She's the first woman, to, she's the first person um, to give God a name, mm -hmm. God who sees me. But God tells her to return. So what does it mean to us that God tells this victim to return to her traffickers? Mm -hmm. And then... Wait, wait, what does it? What does... I, mean, I can't tell you because <laughs> like, you got to buy the book. <laughs> uh -oh. Okay. okay. But yeah, like, what you, does, you got me. Yeah. What does that mean to us? And then the second time Hagar runs away, she like she's she has her child so the first time she runs away i believe she's pregnant i can't it's been so long since i wrote the chapter but the second time she runs away she has she has her child her child's significantly mm -hmm. older so what does it mean to flee with children and that's a that's another big thing is mm -hmm. that um like i'm a mom i'm a mom of yeah. three kids under seven years old so I can't not write their stories and not talk about like, mm -hmm. what does it mean to be, to experience sexual violence and then also carry the next generation? How does mm. that work? Because Hagar is yeah. like, Eve is a mother, Hagar is a mother, Rahab is a mother, um, Gomer is her mother, Bathsheba is a mother. Like motherhood is also a part of, of the yeah. stories of sexual violence. So we have to also look at what how does their actions impact their children and then how how do their children carry their trauma later on yeah deep exhale <laughs> <sighs> no like we gotta we can't just but we will jump right into the next thing like we got to pause and linger and breathe yeah. so much of what you have just shared is a vast majority of listeners have never heard before mm -hmm. and i chalk that up to uh, the vast majority of listeners and, and for us who have been shaped and formed in Christianity in the West haven't heard from black and brown voices and black and brown women mm -hmm. coming with interpretation, with hermeneutic, with, and, uh, with stories through their lens from the Bible, which I believe is an exercise in decolonizing scripture unto unto uh, as you list healing and liberation like ultimate healing and liberation and wholeness um when you write and as you've been writing is that p 
part of your thought process? Like just me showing up like is an exercise, which it is, by the way, <laughs> in decolonizing this broke ass white supremacist or Christian supremacist perspective of Christianity and faith. I think, yes, that's true. The just me showing up. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also having the bravery to let go of what I've learned. Mm. And that, mm. that that's mm -hmm. almost physically painful for me. Like I, um, I have a, I've like, I have a writing calendar. So I spend three weeks on each chapter. Um, took me five and a half weeks to write the Bathsheba chapter because mm. that one, it was like literally so physically painful to write her story because I'm talking yeah. about rape. Yeah. Um, and these other stories, like rape is like, it's just so commonly written through yeah. this, but Bathsheba's chapter, like I cried multiple times, I ate hella chocolate. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it was, it was mm. so physically painful. So to even show up to my laptop was hard. Yeah. And there would be days wow. that I would just like look, like I just like look at my laptop and be like, yeah, can't do it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. No. And I would, I, a big part of that was, um, I have a, a colleague who is a domestic violence survivor, um, community organizer. So she organizes, these communities of people who are in or have survived domestic violence relationships. And she has taught me that the truth teller carries the hardest burden. Mm -hmm. um, because when you tell the truth, you're inviting violence into yourself um, mm -hmm. from those who either don't believe or those who are very, very loyal to um, the system of violence. Mm -hmm. And so there is, there is truth in showing up yeah but there's also the reality that like it's physically painful yeah. to speak out against these things mm. um and i think about i mean i'm just now coming back to myself because i finished writing the Bathsheba chapter last week um but yeah it's it's like people don't talk about how showing up is actually painful we don't do this because it's fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As you know, like <laughs> you're getting paid. Wow. wow. Like, not enough. Christian work, right? Like, <laughs> like, no, I'm paying to write and it hurts. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't get it in the same way that you have just shared. Like it it's, has paused my breath a few times as you're sharing of the depth of cost that it takes to be that, to be the prophet on the forefront. <laughs> yeah. I laugh because I don't that. like, I don't want someone to call me a prophet or a prophetic. <laughs> I don't like that. Well, I speak in the prophet as one of the gifts, which is mm -hmm. what you're describing. Yeah. And you are a, a prophet in terms of your truth telling God's reality into the present, into the contemporary. That's a prophet. Like, <laughs> like what else? What else? But I don't, I don't incur the same, not remotely as a man, the same wrath or cost that you do. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the term gender mapping? I have. So gender mapping is what non-cisgender males, it's like an internalized system that non-cisgender males have where we're scoping 
not the path of efficiency, but the path of less violence mm. in where we're going. So an example is my husband and I were going to a bowling alley and I was driving and I chose a really specific parking lot and he was like, a spot parking spot. And he was like, well, why didn't you park there? Um, because it's easier to get to the door there. And I had to explain like, no, there's no light there. And I have to park where there is light. So I have more capacity to see my surroundings mm -hmm. um, and know where I'm going. And my husband didn't know that. He was like, oh. Um, and we, we talk about it from time to time. It's like an ongoing conversation, an ongoing thing that he's learning. But I use this example because, yeah, of course you wouldn't know what you wouldn't you wouldn't understand like the somatic of writing this in, in this process that I'm having. And that doesn't make you lesser. It just means that we have different lenses, right? I'm yeah. I'm literally going into one of the most violent religions and saying and tell that mm. one of the most violent religions. <laughs> so incredibly yeah. ignorant about itself. Yeah. And telling it that these are all the ways that it has done harm and justified harm. Yeah. And I still believe in redemption. But the problem is that what we both know of Christianity is that the minute you speak out against one thing, they won't listen to the rest. They'll just hold on to that one thing. Mm. Um, and then there's the character assassination, there's the threats, there's the violence and all this yeah. stuff. So, um, yeah, I write from a, I'm, it's like I'm writing past my fear, but the fear is still in my body. And that's a part of what physically yeah. about this. Yeah. That's a, to show up is a triumph every time. Yeah. And a triumph unto the possibilities of liberation. Yeah. Not merely for yourself, but for all those who are going to pick it up. Like you unlock so much, so much potential of liberation through, through this, well, I'll add costly work. Yeah. Oh, I'm so inspired right now. <laughs> But also shake my head as as we contemplate the cost that is incurred onto onto your body. Like, do you think it's worth it? Do I think I'll find out? Mm. Yeah, we don't know yet. <laughs> but I had to do this. Not in yeah. a like God called me and I had to do this, but yeah. um I feel like this is this was the last way that I could love this religion hmm. was to go into the truth tell. Yeah. To tell the truth and to go into these stories and really yeah. wrestle with them. Like, yeah. what does it mean? What does it mean to still be so incredibly in love with the personhood of Christ and look at all of these places of destruction and say, mm. I, and, and say, I hate that this happened. And yet there's still a part of me that wants to cling to you. Um, and also question, like, am I gaslighting myself? Yeah, 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 Is this religion yeah. or is this- Maybe this I'm the baddie here. Yeah, seriously. I got it all wrong. <laughs> am I the bad guy? You know? And so it's just, it's, yeah, it's it's the last way that I could love Christianity. Hmm. A love letter to Christianity. You dare poke the yeah. bear. <laughs> I was you yeah. dare poke the power. <laughs> Seriously, I was talking to a friend about this when I was early on in my writing stage, and she said, um, "Just asking, like, how's writing going?" And I was telling her, like, I, 
I'm scared, right? Yeah. I'm scared mm. of how I'm writing this. I'm scared of how it's going to be received. And she said, yeah, but this is your love letter to Jesus. Mm. And of course, people are not going to receive it well, but you write this, you, you write this as your love letter and see what happens. Like you're writing to those who will receive it. Like, and that is, that's why you write. Like, yeah. and that's worth it. Yeah. But I have to ask, but the thing is like, I grew up in PWIs my whole life. So I have been- What are PWIs? Oh, uh, predominantly white institutions. So I, I have been trained to write in this, to write and to speak and to operate in, yeah, yeah. in this very like, way that's acceptable to whiteness so yeah another yeah. part of showing up is being able to ask like okay who am i writing this for yeah yeah um, did you undo that did you shift the way because you're you're describing writing unto a particular gaze yeah I'm did you switch to something else yeah yeah but i'm constant. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like a constant accountability oh yeah totally because the gaze yeah. the gaze is so important G-A-E-E, yeah. but also G-A-Y-S, depending on his listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I didn't think about the latter. I was always thinking about that because the biggest thing for me as I was writing When We Belong was uh, I have to continuously remind myself I'm not writing to the white reader. Yeah. It, it was kind of annoying that when I would be saying like we or, you know, like generalizing terms that I was specific and catching myself if I was picturing in my head the my own formation, which is in white evangelicalism. Yeah. And to switch my language if if I was doing that. And so, like, I don't know if I, well, I can't. I can't fully escape from both that formation and how it influences my my work mm -hmm. um but what i can do is offer intentionality of decentering that gaze yeah. which i think i which i think i i did because i was very specific in like i'm writing actually i was writing for brown and black folks and asian folks mm -hmm. but that was too narrow so I did expand it and and added in the um, the the marginalized in a larger group, and which works, which could include you know a, a, it includes a wider readership <laughs> from a book buying perspective, but it also works from who the institution seeks to subjugate. Yeah, it's hard. People don't talk about how hard this is. Yeah, but you know what? The it, it's it gets easier. It does get easier. It gets easier. Yeah. And then you realize like more and more of your people, and you write towards your. You don't care. Like for my ministry stuff, I do. I don't care what anyone else in within the institution has to say because they have no say. Mm -hmm. I have little power, anyways. Like yeah. you just go about your business. Yeah. And stay in the unsatisfied curse that I am in. <laughs> I'm legitimately so shocked when white people are like, um, like I love listening and learning from you, and like. Da, da, da. I'm like you you li like I literally make fun of you every other day on Twitter <laughs> like I you've heard you've seen the terms that I use for whiteness right I I have no like I am writing towards victims of sexual violence 
but within that victim of sex those victims of sexual violence like i'm also diving deeper into those who are experiencing intergenerational sexual violence from years of colonization Mm -hmm. like you you don't know what i'm talking about yeah seriously so i'm like it is you i'm like so yes there is uh bell hooks writes about like the patriarchal female um how like well first and foremost let's understand that patriarchy is not a gender-based system um it's a system of power so a female can be patriarchal a trans person can be patriarchal um but yeah there's she writes about the patriarchal female who is a female who usually calls herself a feminist and believes in women's rights but will still give into that system of power instead of dismantling it mm. and so um i like when we, we talk about like writing towards our audience it's there are times that it's like i i have to like make clear differentiations and say like you have probably experienced this type of hurt and I recognize and I, I, I honor your healing and I'm here to sit with you empathetically, but if you are still pursuing that system of power, um, and upholding a system of power that keeps other people marginalized under you, then I'm not writing for you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I'm trying, like, I, I'm trying earnestly to not ascribe to that. I've done it before. It's not satisfying, you know? Let's wrap with pictures of the future, pictures of what the future hope looks like, maybe glimpsing pictures of hopefully what your kids can meander through when it comes to safe and, and life-giving community. Mm-hmm. What does and perhaps you have pieces of it now, liberated, liberative community, church community look like? You know, I'm still trying to find that out. Yeah. I think that, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's an honest answer. That's like, yeah. Yeah. I think I base a lot of my writing on abolition. Um, mm-hmm. And what people like, I've already said that community organizing is not easy. Um, it doesn't feel good. Um, abolition like hurts more because <laughs> you're mm. constantly sitting in the place of recognizing harm and truth telling. Um, and there's different like modalities of justice, right? There's like healing justice, restorative justice, abolition. Um, they're all important. They're all mm. necessary. Um, mm. But mm-hmm. abolition centers the naming of harm um, and engaging in conflict in a really healthy way. Um, But health, healthy is not the same. It's not equitable to feel good, right? It's not the same thing. When it comes to a liberated church, it has to be a church that names harm and is able to navigate Mm. through it. Um, Not as not navigate through it as if you're playing like a board game like this isn't Candyland, you know <laughs> mm. but navigating through it knowing that harm is constant and it's going to happen but we have to name these things and hold people accountable um whether that accountability happens within the community or that accountability happens by excommunicating someone from the community for the levels of harm that they've done but also seeking for that person to be in a different healing community that will continue on their accountability journey. Um, Mm. The church 
that is liberated has to be the church that's willing to do that versus the church that will just like, like just pass over or you'll name the harm in temporary spurts so it's not candy land it's six week video course on reconciliation yeah that's our version of candy yeah. land yeah that's and that's like made it made it done it yeah it's like the hurt that you experience should not be the catalyst for a program and I oh, said, yeah, that's a good word. Right? There's the word. Tweet that. <laughs> Write that down before we lose it. Oh, we recorded it. <laughs> but I speak on that as like interpersonally and institutionally, hmm. right? Like um, this morning I tweeted about life coaches, that there's a lot of spiritual abuse life coaches. Hmm. There's a seminary that is somewhat close to me in Southern California. And um, they created a program based off of student protests. Um, students were protesting the like marginalization of identity. So they they listened to the students and instead of having creating institutional changes within their infrastructure, they're creating a new program, um, mm. a master's degree mm. in, okay. in this, yeah. right? <laughs> trying yeah. to be as I'll take your money, yeah, yeah. suckers. Exactly. Yeah. And we have to rec- like we have to recognize that liberation is not a new program it's an on it's like ongoing relational conflict but when it comes to trauma hurt and harm um i didn't talk about this before but we have different ways that we attach to people relationally um there's secure attachment and then there's like the different modalities of insecure attachment um but our attachment Mm. issue our attachment styles are based off of how we've experienced fear in our lifetime growing up yeah and so in the church i've come from many churches that can't like like the white evangelical church that i went to could not handle conflict they just shut people out like if someone spoke up they shut you out the way that we we grow and we heal and we have deeper meaningful relationships um it happens through how we engage in conflict in a manner that is restorative and edifying your modalities on um on how we experience fear and the relational connections has a direct impact on the manner that we pursue tangible reconciliation. Like it would never come in, in, in a set six week course or whatever it might be. It's not a one size fits all, but it actually, the way that you've described all all those different modalities must apply then on the other end as you seek restoration and, and reconciliation the repair of those things the the repair of unto right relationship will come in many different shapes and sizes mm-hmm. oh man that's your third book that's <laughs> deep that's deep can someone come here and just get a contract for a multiple book deal you would make hundreds of dollars <laughs> hundreds not hundreds on the book deal but those are books that folks are dang that's so good. I might take that. I won't because then I'd have to learn about all these things and maybe dig deep in my own soul. And, and uh, you know, I'm a grown-ass man. We don't talk about our feelings. <gasps> That's not healthy. Don't do that. Don't do that. You should go to therapy like a grown-ass adult. Mm-hmm. This has been exceptional. I am just 
jazzed. I don't know what else. That's the first word that came to my mind. Sorry. Is that what the kids are saying these days? They're not. Your book and what you're bringing? They're not? Dang. I've been growing out my hair, too, because I thought that's what the kids were doing, too. Jeez. (laughs) I got to leave my house. The Hero and the Whore coming 2023 sometime. Fall 2023? Fall. When's it? Fall. Okay. I am very excited as you just knowing also the details of how you've shaped and formed the content to this book. Whew. Chills. Before we go, where can folks find you on the interwebs? What should we be signing up for? So on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. My handle is at hello Camille H. So whatever that at sign is, hello Camille H. Um, and then I have a Substack yep. where I occasionally share poetry and essays. Yeah, yeah. So, Thick Theo. Thick Theo Poetic is the title of it. The um the website is camillehernandez.substack.com. Um, and that's the place to go to access my writings. And yeah, that's that's it. <laughs>